0: Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, is Ireland heading into another recession? Over the last couple of years, we've been hit with a global pandemic, the outbreak of a war in mainland Europe, and a glimpse at the true impacts of climate change. And now some economists are warning we may be on track for another recession. The last recession in Ireland which followed a banking crisis and a housing crash in 2008 devastated the country and particularly people who were on lower incomes who were already most vulnerable. There was a sense we were getting back on track but the Covid pandemic was a setback for Ireland's recovery and for the global economy. This coupled with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and a cost of living crisis has made for grim reading in the business headlines. But are we actually headed towards a recession in Ireland? And how different would that look compared to the economic downturn of the late noughties? Joining me today to explain it all is Stephen Kinsella, head of the economics department at the University of Limerick and chief economics writer with The Currency. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I want to start right back at the basics before we dig into what's happening now. It's a big and scary word when you hear it here in Ireland. Can you explain first for our listeners what we mean when we talk about a recession?
1: Well, a recession has sort of three meanings. Um, The first, I'll give you the most technical version to begin with, just to send your listeners to sleep as quickly as possible. Um, It's a, uh, a two quarter decline in uh, what's called gross domestic product. So that's a measure of the value of uh, all goods and services sold in a, in a given period. So if the economy produces 100 euros worth of uh, output in a given quarter, and then the next quarter it's only 97, and the next quarter after that it's. 96, we say that the economy is technically in recession, but that's the technical definition. The second more, uh, if you like, more uh, that the one that has more, I guess, currency, is the idea that something like economic activity, sales, consumption, buying houses, making things, investing, that kind of stuff, is just, in some sense, slowing. And then the third thing, which is much more, um, Uh, vaporous, if you like, and almost psychological, is a feeling that things are getting worse. So you could, for for example, have a situation where the economy was growing gangbusters, to use Luke O'Neill's phrase, but if the rate of growth was 2%, let's say, instead of producing 100 euros, it produces 102 euros worth of stuff, so it's growing at 2%, but prices are rising by 5%, so you're actually 3% worse off, then even though the economy is growing, it feels like a recession. So you can often have, if you like, a qualitative or almost psychological feeling of a recession. Um, so it can be very often the case that economists can be saying, look at my graph, the line is going up, and everybody else going, dude, it's getting far worse. You know, um, And so you, you very often find yourself on um, Twitter and other places getting uh, fairly sacked because the graph doesn't correspond to how people feel.
0: And I'm sure a lot of people listening don't need reminding, but for those who need a refresher, what caused the previous recession? Excessive
1: amounts of bank credit. So banks were able to borrow at very low levels from abroad. That allowed them to sell loans to um, everyone in Ireland. We bought and sold bits of the country to and from each other. And that raised the amount of credit that everyone had and the amount of economic activity that everyone had. The government responded by lowering income taxes and lowering all other kinds of taxes, supporting the economy on the basis of stamp duties, which is basically transactions taxes from those sales eventually the international banking system was so overleveraged, in other words it had lent out so much money that there was simply no more left to uh give and then the irish banks instantly starved of this foreign capital were pretty much insolvent meaning the value of their assets and the value of their liabilities was totally different the state then had to step in to make uh things better for the for the banks and to protect all the loans and deposits that that uh, that had been given out and in so doing the state found itself insolvent so you've had a situation where the state um, was maybe worth 200 billion and it was guaranteeing the assets and liabilities of of a banking system about 440 billion so uh, that pushed the um economy into really serious uh, trouble we weren't able to borrow we had to enter an imf european commission european central bank bailout and uh, we endured a couple of years of austerity from 2009 to 2014. And then the economy grew rapidly after that. So essentially, the proximate cause of the last crisis was far too much credit from abroad.
0: And you talked there about the economy growing in, in the period after that. Did we fully recover or was there some lasting damage that you can point to?
1: there are probably three areas that were most uh, badly damaged by the uh, era of austerity. The first was um, capital spending. So this is spending on hospitals, on roads, on houses, on schools, and so forth. The government, faced with uh, having to pull back on all kinds of spending, decided um, to cut back on capital spending first, uh, reasoning that the public would get much more upset about a reduction in, say, child benefit or pension levels than it would about a road not getting built right away. This is probably correct at the time, but they cut it back so far that it left a vast infrastructural deficit. um, And the most obvious problem that we have today is the fact that we don't have enough houses. Um, So you can really trace the um, the capital deficits in our economy back to those uh, decisions the other major cutback was in um, the provision of public services so everything from public sector pay I, i'm a public servant i had my pay cut by i think 20 percent or something like that so public sector pay was was reduced but but most importantly public services were scaled back um, this is pretty bad in Ireland, but in, in places like Greece, um, they had um, things like HIV levels exploding because they had cut back on AIDS clinics, you know. Um, so really the scale of public provision was really reduced. And the third major impact, and this is, this is something that's much it, it's much easier to measure, but it's also much deeper um, is a complete collapse in trust in major institutions like banking, like the government, and uh, uh, other areas of our society. And in other countries, this has resulted in a left-right political schism. And, and Ireland hasn't as much, mainly due to our, our voting system, but it has certainly caused a collapse in support of the previously uh, dominant um, centre-right parties, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael.
0: So that's what happened with the last recession. If we move forward to the situation we're in now, we're hearing an awful lot about the inverted yield curve. Now, most of us aren't following the US government bond market too closely on a daily basis, so can you give us an idea of what this is and how that can predict that a recession is on the way?
1: So uh, a yield is a percentage return So, on a bond. So a bond is basically just an IOU. I give you €100 euros today, you'll give me back €100 euros in, say, five years time. And every year that you, you have my money, you give me um, €5. Euros right? So the yield on that is five euros. Um, but uh, you have my money for 10 years. So the U.S. Treasury bill is a very, very short-term bond. It can be three months, it can be six months, nine months a year. So I give you my money for three months, and then you give me a very small interest rate, because obviously I'm you're holding it for a very short space of time. You're the U.S. government, you're definitely going to pay me back. You know, there's not a lot of uh, wiggle room there. And so what the yield curve is, it's a plot. Literally, it's a curve. So on the um, horizontal axis, you you have the amount in the percentage return, the yield uh, on the bonds, and on the uh, vertical, the axis going out, you've got time. And so every so often, that curve inverts. Now, what is happening there is, the market is saying okay all right it looks like it looks like the us government is going to go into re- the us economy it's going to go into a recession in say two years time so if you thought that was going to be the case what you would do is you would buy or sell us bonds depending on what you thought was going to happen to the us economy right and so what that does is that re- that changes the yield it changes the percentage return that you have on those bonds and when you're in that situation uh, if you're plotting that yield curve, you could just see it moving really, really quickly. And so when it moves that quickly, that's that's a pretty good predictor of the uh, US economy and other economies going into recession, because what it's telling you is, oh no, in a year's time or two years' time, they think that things are gonna get worse. So it's 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 been a pretty good predictor of uh, recessions over the last, say, 30 or 40 years. And um, because the yield curve has inverted recently, People are kind of, you know, the ears are pricked up and people are are looking around going, where's the recession going to come from and how do I protect myself from it? And it explains, for example, why tech stocks are falling. It explains why, you know, companies like, uh, you know, Shopify are cutting their workforce by 10 percent and so forth. And people are simply looking towards a future that is more grim than the uh, past that they had enjoyed, and they're trying to fortify themselves against it. The paradox of economics, of course, is that when everybody tries to do that, selfishly trying to protect themselves, they create the very situation that they're trying to avoid. And uh, that's one one of the joys of studying economics. What you think about the future determines your behavior today, which changes the future tomorrow.
0: Another recent development that has people talking about a recession is the ECB raising interest rates. So why do they do that?
1: They do that because they have to it's uh, the eurozone inflation rate is running above eight percent at the moment so inflation is measured uh, as a um, as a basket of goods and services so if you imagine there's only two things in the world you know milk and eggs and somebody is surveying the price of milk and the price of eggs and they're watching it go up well the european central bank has a way of stopping you buying more milk and buying more eggs and it's by Ca- causing the price of money to rise. And so it has a legal mandate under uh, uh, under the Mastic Treaty of keeping inflation at or around 2%. So obviously it needs to do something. The problem is, what I've just described to you there is what's called a demand side uh, intervention. What, the idea is to stop you buying eggs and, and milk. But the reality is, the cost of supplying the eggs and milk has gone up. Just the price of oil, the price of gas has gone up. So the European Central Bank has decided to increase interest rates to to depress demand, but the problem is coming from supply, the actual guy who has to put the stuff into the car to drive the eggs to your house, right? And so that's a big problem because it's not clear that the interest rate increase, which was kind of historic, will actually prevent the rise of inflation, and it may indeed induce our recession and the reason it might do that is people saying, oh, no, you know, it's going to get more expensive to borrow. I shouldn't buy a house. Oh, it's going to get more expensive to borrow. I shouldn't uh, build that shed. I shouldn't do X, Y, Z. And because they, they think that interest rate increases are coming, and to be fair, they have been told that. And they're justified in limiting their behavior today, which, as I said, actually causes the recession and the people Um, uh, want to avoid because if everybody's expectations change right away, they go, oh, no, this isn't this isn't great. Now, the reality of the situation is these are very small interest rate increases. So if you've got a mortgage of, I don't know, a grand a month, I think it's gonna affect, You know, I think it's gonna add on another 50 50 euros. So it's not gonna change uh, people's pockets overly, but if you see a situation where that goes from a thousand a month to say 13 or 1400 a month, like that could really hurt people's disposable income, and that of course, depresses retail sales across the economy, because people aren't going out, they're not they're not going out for drinks, they're not buying clothes, they're not doing all the things that they would have done with that disposable income had interest rates been lower, and that's the entire point of that interest rate
0: rise. So people won't necessarily see, you know, a massive increase in their mortgage payments directly, but there might be more subtle impacts on the economy. Is that what you're saying?
1: Exactly, and. Again, Christine Lagarde, who's the uh, president of the European Central Bank, has flagged very clearly that if inflation doesn't come down, she will continue to in- re- increase interest rates, um, and that is consistent with her mandate uh, under the law. But it's also um, it's also her pretty much her only way of making sure that the central bank fulfills its m- its mission to curb inflation.
0: And before we look at the broader economic environment across the world, let's just focus on Ireland. So, how healthy or unhealthy? is our economy right now?
1: So the economy has has been through a a really serious shock. It's um, the uh, COVID shock essentially forced the government to borrow hugely to support the household and and firm sectors. And it did so uh, pretty remarkably. You know, it was, I think an extremely powerful example of the impact and the primacy of policy that at one point during COVID, we were supporting north of a million people every week. Uh, I think that's an incredible um, piece of policy success. And actually, the people in the revenue commissioners, believe it or not, um, deserve a lot of credit for that, because it was their real-time PAY system that was actually used to pay everyone. And they don't get that credit enough, I don't think. But anyway, the idea about how healthy the economy's finances are now, we, we're saddled with a lot of uh, COVID-related debt. But a lot of it's quite cheap. The economy is actually moving into uh, surplus, meaning we're spending... Uh, less than we are taking in, which is pretty awesome if you think that we had an enormous deficit two years ago. But all of that deficit has been closed by corporation taxes. You might think that's great, corporations paying their way, but most of that money, the vast majority of it, comes from only about 10 or 15 companies. And so the main risks to our economy right now are first, a slowdown in the international economy. Second, the um, the European energy system begins to de Cohere, meaning the price of fuel, et cetera, rises. But the third issue is the idea that um, if, if, so, if one of the multinationals left, to say Apple left, that would devastate the Irish economy. Now, I don't want to uh, be a doom monger. I just want to point those risks out. You know, I think the collective noun for economists is a depression of economists or maybe a gloom of economists. But uh, so I don't want to. I don't want to claim that that everything's um, terrible. There are upside risks as well. But what is certainly true is that the economy is in much stronger shape than it was in two thousand and eight. Um, its banks are pretty well capitalized. The extent of credit in the economy isn't as bad. It, the 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 corporate sector is uh, has a lot of debt. There's a lot of debt on those books, um, and there's a worry there. But overall, you know, lots of people are back at work. There's uh, we're importing workers again the main issue is our housing sector. Um, It is simply underperforming um, relative to the the number of houses we need, the kind of houses we need. And uh, I don't think any of your listeners will be surprised by that.
0: And I know we don't want to be all doom and gloom, but those risk factors you're talking about, I mean, it is at least a possibility that things are going to go in the wrong direction with those. So what kinds of protections do we have in place?
1: The main thing that we Really, should be doing is designing our tax system to ensure that any say drop in corporate tax revenue will be offset by new taxes. So, for example, um, in two thousand and eight, the government had reduced income taxes substantially in order to win an election in two thousand and seven, and it did so. And you know, um, this is the Fianna Fáil Green coalition, and in so doing probably instantiated much of the, the fiscal damage that was to come because when the stamp duty went away, it blew a hole in the in the um, the finances of the state. The modern equivalent of that stamp duty is corporation taxes. Um, and so the first thing we can do is start designing taxes that would fill a hole if the corporate tax take fell suddenly. And I can think of two taxes uh, that off the top of my head. The first is employer's PRSI. It's very low, but international standards. The second is um, uh, serious property taxes. So Ireland um, currently uh, has a very weak property taxation system and only about 60, I think it's 67% of households are actually homeowners. So there should be political support for uh, wider property taxes and particularly site value taxes. And these these are much more stable and they'll stop the economy from cycling up and down and us needing to impose austerity if uh, things go wrong.
0: And how does the inflation we're experiencing right now and the rising cost of living play into talk of recession? Presumably it's making things worse.
1: Uh, no, actually. So, so what people are doing. One of the reasons that we have an, we have inflation is that people are running out and buying things. Uh, you know, some some of it's coming from 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 uh, the Ukraine war, of course. But a lot of it, actually, there was a COVID spike in inflation. You can distinguish in the data between COVID inflation and conflict inflation. So you can see in COVID inflation, people, lots of people um, were doing things like buying secondhand cars, and you know causing uh, all these kind of weird shortages everywhere because they had extra money, they had loads of savings and they wanted to go and spend it um, all over the place. So there was a bout of inflation that was going to come just because of all the money that was stuffed into um, uh, the Irish economy by the state. That that is slowly being bled away, but people are still buying and selling it at, at, at incredible rates. Um, the latest national accounts uh, show that consumption is way up, you know, uh, in investment is up to. So, you know, uh, in generally speaking, when you see inflation going on, uh, it, it often it coincides with periods of, of lots of economic activity, lots of, um, lots of people working, uh, lots of uh, bottlenecks here, there, and everywhere where people can't buy the stuff that they want because lots of them have lots of money to spend, you know? Um, so th- it's not always um, obvious that just because things are getting more expensive that, that economic activity slows down.
0: And just to come back to COVID, here we don't have any restrictions in place, but it's a whole different story in China where there are frequent lockdowns. So how significant a role does their zero COVID policy play in all of this?
1: Um, It's having a major impact on supply chains. So uh, what I mean by that is uh, right now it's July and a lot of the stuff that's being produced for Christmas is actually being um, manufactured now. And so whatever the next Christmas toy, the cabbage patch kid of, you know, 2022 uh, actually is, is is being um, manufactured in a factory in China right now, whether there will be extreme shortages of of children's toys for Christmas is actually an open question right now. You know, (laughs) like you can tell, you can see why economists get a reputation for doom and gloom. No children's toys, (laughs) you know. Oh, God.
0: The Grinch. We forgot the Grinch on the podcast this week.
1: (laughs) Sorry about that. Um. Just walk around the world apologizing for my profession half the time, but no, it, it is serious. So this is this is what's called a supply chain shock. So basically, because uh, the stuff gets made in China, but it, it, if it's not getting made because China's causing these lockdowns, then there will be shortages later on. Uh, in you know, in a few months' time. And that's, that's quite serious because, you know, if, if it's not being made, then it can't be sold. If it can't be sold, then it won't be bought. And if it can't be bought, then of course, uh, the consumer will be disappointed. But most importantly, we won't see any economic, uh, any taxes coming from it or, or anything else. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal um, because, of course, if there's a really big COVID shock, if you just imagine, you know, uh, China's entire economy stops for two months or something, well, that's going to cause a global recession. that will mean that, you know, pr- the price of things will skyrocket because, of course, we won't have um, as much stuff uh, to buy or sell. And that, you know, supply and demand, it does work. Uh, if the supply goes down, the demand is the same. The price is going to rise, you know.
0: So that's one international disruption. Another is obviously the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. In what way is that war feeding into all of this?
1: Probably two uh, main ways. So the first is um, Ukraine is a huge exporter of food. Now we in Ireland do not uh, import a lot of food from Ukraine, and and in fact much of Europe doesn't import food from Ukraine, but uh, lots of the rest of the world does, particularly Africa, um, and countries like Egypt in particular. So uh, if you have uh, a country like Egypt, which is a massive country, and it is trying to buy, say, grain on the international market, that ra- that increases the price of grain. That might help grain producers in Ireland, but but it will make the price of say bread rise everywhere, right? And so there's an indirect, if you like, impact on our uh, economy. So that's not good. The obvious, the other obvious one is the price of uh, gas and the price of oil. So uh, restrictions on the price of gas and oil were, were seem like they're going to continue, particularly into, into the winter, but in, perhaps into the new year. And then, of course, that would vastly ramp up the impact of a recession because we'd end up with the main input into many productive processes, oil and gas, the price of it rising and rising and rising, and that's just being passed on to consumers, right? And so we talked about the European Central Bank and what it was doing earlier on. So you can just imagine that the price of oil and gas is rising and rising and rising. It doesn't necessarily matter what the central bank does. You still need to put gas in your car. You still need to uh, uh, drive to work. You still need to heat your home, mm-hmm. and so it will simply uh, it, it will be experienced by the majority of households as a kind of regressive tax on their way of life. Now, there is a positive in all of this, and the positive in all of this is um, the existence of things like remote working. In the 1970s, when when this happened, people still needed to drive to work. Now, if somebody says, "Oh, Steve, you're, uh, you know, the price of petrol is too high. You should stay home and, you know, do your do uh, lectures, etc. from from home." That can be done. And so, we we have uh, technology that can help us offset some of the impacts of all of this. But if I'm a nurse or if I work in a um, in a care home, obviously I can't phone that in. So it's going to be sectoral, as as all of these things are.
0: And what could be the long-term fallout if there is another recession?
1: Well, I think that this government, uh, and I've talked with most of the members of the government about this, has really understood the need, the deep and abiding need, not to short-term cut uh, capital expenditure. So don't stop the children's hospital from being built. Don't stop the... um, the roads, don't stop the the railways and so forth. You still need to keep that going. And to be fair, th- I think they understand that that's, it's an important thing that needs to keep going. Um, the other uh, long-term fallout of another recession will be a large increase in technology, I think. We're, if COVID taught us anything, it was that we can transact much of the business of the state and much of the business of our lives uh, electronically. I think um, if we have a situation where it costs a fortune to move around the place, uh, we will simply move less. I don't think people are going to switch immediately to bikes and uh, um, uh, e-bikes and so forth. It, it, there'll, there'll need to be a bit of expenditure made to keep uh, to make things safe before uh, before that happens. So people will adapt. I mean, the the reality is that. We have been adapting to crises now for 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 several decades. You know, somebody who's thirty today has lived through a global economic crisis. They've lived through a sovereign series of sovereign defaults. They lived through the near near death of the euro. Um, they lived through the austerity. They lived through you know various housing, health, climate crises. Now they have, and they had a pandemic, and uh, then there's a you know a, a major war in Europe and, uh, and the climate crisis, you know, uh, and they've done all of this for, you know, a while, the cost of, of everything has risen. So
0: are we going to see the return of austerity?
1: I don't think so. I think we, we we've realized that austerity does nothing except create anger and populist policies that give us things like Trump and Brexit. Uh, Nobody wants another Trump or another Brexit. So I think everyone's realized for, you know, you can influence policies to make government borrowing cheaper, that will mean that it Governments can continue to do what they need to do, and the longer that you can do that for, the better it's going to be. And so, I, you, so even um, this week, or sorry, last week, uh, Christine Lagarde was talking about new a new um, uh, suite of policies to help stop sovereign borrowing, so the borrowing of the state rise too quickly, um, and uh, that'll probably be effective. Um, and in so doing, it'll make we'll we'll be able to make sure that. Uh, you know, the government can keep the lights on and we don't have to do things like uh, cut public services and um, make uh, life harder for the average citizen.
0: And people who struggled through the last recession will be wondering how we've ended up back in this situation. Have we learned nothing or is this just what capitalism looks like? Um, I
1: think there's a great uh, phrase by the philosopher John Gray, and he says, nothing is ever learned for long. And I, I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of that. I, I think we, we often do cycle back to the same themes. My first professor in economics told me that um, the great thing about economics is that uh, questions always stay the same. It's the answers that change. And I think that uh, you know, unlike physics or, or any other subject, it's, that's one of the delights of studying it. It's never boring. The reality is that uh, the economy is in a much stronger place, but we're a tiny, tiny economy on the edge of Western Europe. And really what is happening is is geopolitical and, and beyond us in many respects. And so we have to adapt. And the more we invest in mechanisms to help us adapt, the better we're going to be. And a, a very good example of that is um, um, investing in things like early childhood education, investing in things like higher education. These are, these are areas that change the makeup of the people in the country. And it, they typically end up producing benefits that are uh, into the decades so they're very good investments in that sense you know okay i mean you know, I, you know i'm a i'm a i have to declare a bias i'm a professor in a university right so of course i'm going to say that but yeah you know in fairness you know uh, but uh, i think it is true and the research does show it um, there's very good returns to further higher education and there there's pretty much no Better spending you can do than spending on early childhood education. Um, the data show us that clearly. So we can do these things and we can emerge stronger from each of these crises. And I think um, many would argue that we have.
0: And we have the budget approaching in September. Are those the kinds of things that the government needs to be investing in, or are there more short term actions that they'll have to take to have a meaningful impact on the current situation in Ireland?
1: The budget is going to have to be very, very carefully. Drafted. Um, it'll be very very likely it's Pascal Donahue's last budget as finance minister. So they're gonna to have to spend a fair amount of time crafting, you know, uh, large-scale structural legacy kind of um, announcements um and they flagged the two that i've I, I've mentioned already actually um early childhood education and higher education they they've, they've said that there will there'll be large fund, funding packages for both of those but much they' they're much more long much more long-term investments they also have to put put in place lots and lots and lots of different policies to help people get over the winter um so things like finding ways to reduce excise finding ways to reduce, the impact of the price increases that we know we will see. They, they'll they have to be very clever about it, because the more the state injects into the system right now, the more likely it is we'll see more inflation. So they have to make sure they don't make things worse while trying to make things better.
0: We'll all be watching closely in September to see what they come up with. Stephen, thanks so much for joining me today to explain it all.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Stephen for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber, or you could leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.